As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to So Very Wrong About Games. I am your socially distanced host, Mark Bigney, and with me, as always, is my loyal co-host, Mike Walker. How are you doing, Walker? Awesome, Mark. How are you? Well, as the noted epidemiologists Jasmine and Aladdin once noted, it's a whole new world. Don't you dare touch your eyes. Wow. That's a nice paraphrase. Anyway, in all seriousness, as we comment, we're taking this pandemic very seriously, Walker is not in one of the risk factors, despite the fact that he's 72, but he has the body of a 22-year-old and the mind of a 12-year-old. It's really, truly astounding. I'm not seriously at risk either, We're doing, but that having been said, we're doing our best to keep ourselves safe. That, I've handcuffed my hands to my ankles so I can stop touching my face. My nose really itches right now, Walker, and I can't do anything about it. Anyway, we'll have more to say about our swag policies going forward with respect to the show, but long story short, you can expect to keep hearing from us, so you have our sincerest condolences. Let's get to it, Mark. This is a podcast about board games. In case you've tuned in and didn't know, we talk about board games. I probably here. should have offered that context, shouldn't I? Well, I thought I'd throw it in there just in case someone was confused. We're going to talk about the game we reviewed last year. Then we're going to talk about games that we played this week. We're going to talk about some news and why it doesn't matter. And then we're going to talk about our topic, which is very topical. Oh, oh. Which is going to be, what can we do during this trying times, Mark? What is there to do? How can we cope? Stuff like that. The game we reviewed last year, Mark, was Claustrophobia, the original one, with all the nicely painted miniatures and just the one... The one with the cute trogs. The cute little trogs and just the one demon master lord thing. Yes. And uh, now that the new one's out, I'm not I'm not quite sure what to say. I, the new one is very interesting and fantastic, and it has a very interesting, you know, white, red, black color scheme. And Yeah, it really leans heavily into that. That's actually my strongest misgivings about the new version. If I could have the rules of the new version, because the rule set of the new version, Claustrophobia 1643, is a solid improvement everywhere. It has subtle changes to the pacing that really improves things, subtle changes to the customizability of the, both the demons and the humans. Really, all the rules changes, I think, are, are solid and absolutely involve the best elements of the expansions. Visually, though, in most areas, I think it's a step back or a step sideways. True. I think 
When I think back to it, I think if you play a lot of claustrophobia, then it'd be something definitely look into. But I think the original is just so much easier to get down onto the table. And it's not one of those things where you have to think about, you know, which parts of it to play, you know, which boss you're going to use this time. or which... Oh, I disagree. I think it's quite the opposite. You That's think... one of the salient virtues of 1643, because it's just in the box. There's no expansion material. Everything is involved there, and it has a whole bunch of missions. If you just want to play the base game of the previous claustrophobia, claustrophobia with Simpliciter from 2009, then yes, you don't have any tricky decisions to make either. But it's all scenario-driven. You always only just have to pick the scenario, and then everything is, is set out for you. In every scenario. I thought maybe the bosses were you were punch and play, but the scenario tells no. you which boss is going to be. No, no it's, always, right, it's, well, always, it's always been go. the same way. And so it's really just a question of if you want to shell out for the new version, because it was sold at a very reasonable price, but then, of course, on the secondary market, if you want to still find it. There were tons of copies available, and yet they didn't sell out their entire throughput. So if you find a base game of Claustrophobia 2009, with or without any of the expansions, and you want to give it a shot, by all means, snatch it up if it can be had cheaply, because it's not a significant step backward in terms of game pr- gameplay quality, but in terms of component quality, I vastly prefer it. Now, some of this is just due to taste, right? Visual style. How much do you like red and black? How much do you like the style? That's basically one of the and, questions here. And how much do you like pre-painted miniatures? Back, It's back from the old days of fantastic... The five hot seconds, the HeroScape era, let's That's call right, it. That's right, the HeroScape. Of pre-painted miniatures. And, I mean, look, some people might not like the cute trogs. Some people might want ugly, vicious-looking trogs. I like the cute trogies. It's 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 really nice. Uh, I had cannibalized the miniatures of Claustrophobia for use in my miniatureless copy of Blackstone Fortress, which I picked up on eBay for 15 bucks because it didn't have any of the miniatures on it. And, oh, by the way... As, as ever, I've said this before, I'll say it again. If there's ever a big box games workshop game that you want to try and you have minis to proxy, go on eBay and get a miniature list version and you'll have solid value for your gaming dollar. But I then sold off all my claustrophobia stuff and I just have the new version and I don't regret it, although I do miss the cute trucks. And that is the game we reviewed last year. Oh, should, should, we, stress, should we stress that it's still brilliant? Still brilliant. It is one of my go-to two-player games. There is a small list of games that when, when I, I want to keep in rotation and I want to play on a regular basis, Claustrophobia has always been amazing. And to my mind, it stands shoulder to shoulder with Space Hulk, both in terms of rules complexity being low and quality decision making being very high and having a huge degree of asymmetry in the gameplay in a scenario driven type of environment. So I I think it would be remiss if we closed out our discussion of Claustrophobia without just... And talking about war. And it has that very interesting quick plane and you can quickly reverse roles and play it the other way around. Absolutely. And sort of, you know, that sort of like 1v1 and, you know, have it both ways type thing. Absolutely. Like especially, since, especially since many of the scenarios by the designer's own admission are not balanced. It is designed to be hard on the humans because just the other salient capper and claustrophobia. Claustrophobia is a game of humans versus demons and the humans are the bad guys. It's true. Now, onto the games we played this week. My list is kind of sparse, but they were really very enjoyable games. Mark, we got to play a game called Jetpack Joyride. This is a game by Mikhail Gobielski. And it's based off of an app, is that correct? Or it's just sort of like sort of like the app or like an app? <laughs> I have no idea what that question was. I have no idea. You All that talking, I heard was you, you, app and... you were talking about an app when we were playing it, so I thought maybe it was Yes, there's an Android mobile game that has been out for several years. And it's by the same name? Yes, it is called Jetpack Joyride. All right. So in this game, it can play be played up to four players, and you have four little player boards that are in front of you, and it's it's this, this course that you're going to be running through with your jetpack. And in the middle of the table is this huge pile of tetradominoes. 
And then it's a real-time, ready, set, go, start grabbing all these shapes and tracing your path through all these different laser obstacles and beams and rockets and all sorts of things that you have to deke out, not hit, even pick up vehicles and or not run over or maybe run over scientists and trying to get to the end and having all these different objectives and scoring things. And I thought it was a, a very interesting real-time strategy game. I was very pleasantly surprised. I was not expecting much. I acquired it largely due to my enthusiasm for the core property. I wasted many hours on Jetpack Joyride on various handheld Android devices because although I don't really do mobile gaming on a phone, I've never really, I don't really play many games on my phone, but give me a mobile Android device with gaming controls and tell me that I can play Neo Geo games and I'm there for hours. And Jetpack Joyride is one of the few native Android device uh, games that I've, I've I've played a lot, even though I don't think I've ever even installed it on a phone. Anyway, it's weird. This is just one of the mental blocks. More on this later when we when we do our topic about the the strange ways in which I approach gaming. But I was a little bit worried when opening up Jetpack Joyride and separating out all the components. There's not a whole lot of different courses, suffice to say. So I was worried that there might be a certain degree of staleness. But what they do is every round there are going to be missions, and the missions will tell you to do specific things that you might not otherwise do. And every round you're going to acquire gadgets, and the gadgets as well might encourage you to do things you might not otherwise do. For example... I got a gadget that said you get two points every time you descend from the ceiling. So it was I was encouraged to fly very, very close to the top, and th but then descend as quickly as possible, and then ascend again, and then do this over and over and over again to get points. And this interacted with the courses in various ways. So give me the same course in several different games, the exact same course, and I will approach it in different ways based on the different modifiers that come out. Is it the deepest thing in the world? Absolutely not. But it is lightning fast. I explained the game in about three minutes and we were off to the races. You were like, look, we don't have time. We need to do something else. I'm like, calm down. This will take 20 minutes tops. And sure enough, that's, that's about how long it took. And it wouldn't have taken any longer with additional players because the moment someone has finished the course, everyone is done. And so the, the pace is set by the fastest player, not the slowest player. And I don't really like spatial puzzles, but I really enjoyed this sort of take on real-time spatial puzzle gameplay. And so I thought it was a very, very efficient and cheap and enjoyable experience. It's from Lucky Duck Games, and that name seems to be coming up a lot from us lately. I'm very interested to see what they're going to come out with next. That is absolutely true. I'm very pleased that you enjoyed it, given that you don't have any enthusiasm or, indeed, recognition of the original property. The main character's name is Barry Steak Fries. Berry steak fries. How, how, could you, how, could you, how can you not love it? How can you not love that? As promised, I played another game of Horizon War Zero Dark. This is the solo sci-fi 28mm skirmish tabletop war game designed by Roby Jenkins, he of Horizon Wars. And the same thing happened this time as in the previous games, which is to say, I had a lot of fun. There were some interesting quasi-cinematic shootout moments. And the game is vastly too easy. I posted a couple of rules questions, actually. I've been in correspondence with Roby Jenkins on and off over the past uh, couple months or so because I've been supporting him on Patreon, and that's how I got access to the earlier versions of Zero Dark. And sure enough, I, I, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. The rule set is just designed with a different player's mentality in mind. And I'm going to try to present this as fairly as possible. We got to the point where I was saying, okay, in this situation, why would I not do this thing? This thing seems to make the game too easy. And his response more or less was, yes, you could do that thing, but then you're kind of breaking the game. And I'm like, okay, that's good. 
This doesn't, and I say this is good not in the sense that this solves my concerns with the game, but it really solidifies my impression of what Roby Jenkins is doing and who he's designing for. Roby Jenkins is not really designing games for me. I will play his games and I enjoy his games, but he's not calibrating his design expectations for someone like me. Given a table setup, and we've talked about this a lot in terms of different topics before, given what is thematically appropriate and given what is strategically advantageous, I will take the latter 99 times out of 100. And Roby Jenkins does not design games necessarily with that set of expectations in mind. And thus, the game ends up being too easy when played with my incredibly conservative, taking maximal advantage of the rules style. Do I still have fun with it? Yes. And it's a testament to the quality of the game that I can still enjoy it. But what manifested to me as concerns in Horizon Wars, the sci-fi combined arms competitive game, where I never really felt that the scenarios were balanced or fair or reasonable... This is really being clarified by my experience with Zero Dark. Roby Jenkins doesn't really care about the scenarios being balanced or fair or reasonable. Kind of sort of like Croc designing scenarios in claustrophobia. And so you just have to either accept that and play the game and just enjoy the moments that arise, which I, believe it or not, am capable of doing on occasion, or you play suboptimally. And in a solo game, I am willing on occasion to play suboptimally for the sake of theme. For example, when I kitted out my soldiers in the first case, because customizability is one of the hallmarks of all of Roby Jenkins' designs, you get to kit out your soldiers to the nth degree with a great deal of, of freedom. There are no fixed stat lines anywhere to be found in Zero Dark. Everything is up to you. I deliberately made choices that fit my conception of who I wanted these soldiers to be, rather than looking and saying, oh, this gives me the best set of bonuses. So I am willing to do it to a certain extent. I play, This is the third scenario I've played. I played it on hard difficulty, and I still did not find it even remotely challenging. So I'm going to have to decide to do one of three things going forward, and I can tell you which one I'm leaning towards. I can either just accept it and play a whole bunch of easy sessions. I, I've got a couple of ideas of house rules that I think might make the game more difficult, and I don't think will break the sort of thematic cohesion that Roby Jenkins wants, and I think will suit my preference in terms of mechanical coherence, or I can stop playing. I don't think I'm going to do the third thing. I think what I'm going to try to do for the next couple of sessions is try the middle thing. I'm going to try some uh, variant rule sets to make the game more difficult, or certainly at least to remove the possibility of the what Roby Jenkins would probably consider abusive strategies that I have been employing. All of this is to say that Zero Dark is very, very, very engaging, and it's definitely crawled inside my head. For all my problems that I have with the rule set, I really, really enjoy the game. It's on sale right now in Wargame Vault, and I've got to tell you, if you are looking to expand your miniatures game experience, and if you're looking to expand your solo gaming experiences, you could do a hell of a lot worse. It's also worth noting that Roby Jenkins is a great guy. He's now heavily discounted the add-on to Horizon Wars with solo rules attached. More on all this later when we talk about the news. So I'm going to keep playing Horizon Wars Zero Dark. I'm going to try to get it to work the way that I want it to, but if I can't, I'm just going to have to accept the fact that I'm playing according to somebody else's vision. And that's... See, we always run into this problem when, like, when we're playing adventure games. They always throw this you know, moral dilemma in front of us, and if they want you to take the moral high ground, you know it's obviously a trap, but you know, they <laughs> lure you into taking the moral high ground anyway. And you know, Right, and then it's a question of, has the game painted a vivid enough picture in terms of the setting or the characters or both such that we are willing to take that ride? And I think that's a really good way to clarify it. I am willing to take the ride because I am sufficiently invested in the characters that I've made. To a certain extent, this was the same problem I had with another solo co-op rule set, namely Rangers of Shadowdeep. 
And there it was. Mechanically, this is not a very satisfying game, and it's not very difficult, but I'm sufficiently invested in the characters and the narrative to get me through. And Zero Dark is much more satisfying mechanically, but it partially by virtue of that, it is yet easier. But the engagement is coming through through the universe and the characters involved. So that, that's a good way to put it. Thanks, Walker. You and I also got to play a very unique game. It's called Dragon Master by some designer called Reiner Knizia. I don't I haven't heard him before. I tried to look him up, but I couldn't find anything else that he did. He ruined the cover of my game. He, he scrawled did. all over it in Magic Marker, wishing me a happy birthday. I know. It was very rude of him. Weirdo. The trade value is ruined. I know. It's by Victory Point Games. This being said, it's a very interesting sort of, uh, I don't want to say tile lane, but grid card play, much in the in the vein of Tigris and Euphrates. Your score is going to be whatever your lowest column is, if you're the column guy. Or you could be the row guy, and it's going to be your lowest row. This is a fundamental question about personalities. You know, it's right up there in Myers-Briggs. Do you see yourself as a row person or a column person? It's it, This is true. And there's I have one, In the news, I also have a fundamental question that got answered this week. So it's going to be good. So, yeah. So you start the game off. And you either say you're going to be playing the rows or the columns and you and you start this grid. And the grid is undefined until you define it, right? It's going to be four by four grid. And then you add up, you know, the rows or the columns and whatever your lowest one is. There's all these multipliers and rules for, you know, different scores. But whatever your lowest row is, is what your score is going to be. So it's all this, you know, sort of blocking off the grid and, you know, saving your cards at the right time. And I thought it was very unique and fun, but I think it might get stale quickly. I've been actually playing it solo a fair bit. In solo, it's a very, very simple puzzle. You just start drawing cards off the deck one at a time, and at the end of the game, your final score is lowest row or column because you're playing both when you're playing solo. Playing two-player, there's a lot more depth to it tactically. You start off with a hand of eight cards, and that's going to be your hand for the entire game, and the grid grows in, in slightly more organic ways. This is the promo version that I got from the Doctor himself, and the full game version allows for multiplayer play and a 5x5 five five grid. I have reports that it is a more satisfying version because one of my concerns about the 4x4 four four version is that luck of the draw tends to be a little bit too consequential. You want to draw higher, draw higher cards. There are, ver there are values to the lower cards, and yes, you can use the lower cards to block and make some of your opponent's efforts less valuable. But by and large, you want the higher value cards. They're just much more, more useful. That having been said, given that it is an incredibly quick game and incredibly simple and definitely one of those Reiner Knizia games where you read the rules and you, you squint and you say, what, that's it? And sure enough, it's a game. I would really like to try the bigger, full, actual boxed version with 5x5 five five and, and possible multiplayer rules because I find it very but, interesting. Yeah, I'm saying there is there's this huge decision space that will open up when you can either, like you said, you look at the cards that you have, you either can block or lane or block the grid or or you know, there's so many different ways you can play these cards. And I, I like you said, I think if with, with more plays, A, more things will open up, but B, the confines of the game will also be more apparent. And very much like many other Reiner Knizia designs, this is very evocative of some of his earlier work, like Kingdoms. If you played Kingdoms or any of the three or four other games that have used the same system that either predate Kingdoms or postdate Kingdoms, Dragon Master has always also been redeveloped into a game called Robot Master, which is more or less the same. Anyway, I'm interested to play a little bit more. And honestly, when I've got like 
35 seconds to kill when a video is buffering or something, I will, I just leave it on my table and I pull it out, shuffle the cards and play a quick solo game. It's honestly that engaging, despite the fact that I'm not sure how much luck of the draw predominates even more in the solo version. But I have to say, given the sentimental value that immediately attaches to it, because this is part of Dewey winning my birthday for all time, and the fact that it is one of those great designs where it's like, how does this work at all? I'm a big fan. And that's Dragon Master. Specifically, the convention promo version put up by Victory Games. I pulled out Hellboy the Board Game. You might have seen one of Walker's most excellent unboxing videos that we posted on Facebook. I was going to say, yeah, we did just two recently. You should check them out. I think they both turned out really well. Well, we we did one recently. You've done two. I was involved in the second one. Largely, I was there as the patsy. And mostly just the cleanup. Yes. uh, Yeah, stick to the end. It's, It's heartbreaking. It's not a good story. And I'd actually played Hellboy earlier in the week, and now I've got the box full of evil, so now I've got a couple more expansions to throw into the mix for Hellboy. I played one of the, actually one of the base game scenarios that I hadn't played yet involving a giant frog monster. And it was really cool. One of the things that Hellboy does really, really well is it uses the scenario format very successfully. It plays with things. There are moments of discovery where you're, during the first act, you're collecting these clues and you're not really sure why. And it's during the finale that you figure out why you've been doing this. And you said, haha, we haven't, we, we did a really good job. We've got the boss corner. Or in my case, you figure out, yeah, so. I wasn't doing a really good job keeping up with that, so now I guess I'm kind of boned. And this was about chasing the boss through multiple levels. The boss disappears down the hole. I jumped down the hole. And all of this is covered with a minimum of a rules overhead because very much like claustrophobia, and I think I'll actually credit claustrophobia with having started that design trend. Keep in mind, when claustrophobia was first released in 2009, uh, Descent First Edition was still kind of sort of the default market leader dungeon crawl and descent first edition is a four-hour slog with lots and lots of rules and claustrophobia said no 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 no. we're gonna simplify all this and hellboy is very much in that tradition and we've talked a lot about this in the context of the review we talked about it in the context of our Eurus, but i really like hellboy for some reasonably quick and dirty dungeon crawling adventure it's just meaty enough i think it's perfectly calibrated in terms of the rules density and even in terms of the game length now I seem to have this problem whereby there's a special blue die that you roll during each test. And I actually sat down for a few minutes and and checked it out. One of the results is a skull, which says, get rid of your best result. And possibly if you're firing a gun, your gun goes dry. That die result actually comes up not a sixth of the time, but in my die, it comes up more like a third of the time. And this isn't me being anecdotal. Well, it's, it, sorry, it's me responding to a larger body of anecdotes. I sat down and I rolled it 60 times in succession. And it came up about a third of the time. So I don't know what's going on there, but it's a bit of a problem because it kind of sucks the momentum out of the game. Just to hit back on the scenarios, I really like how they change up, how they each scenario is so different and really introduces no new game components. You don't have to like, you know, open up packets or punch out anything new or fish out any more, you know, different components. They really use what they have and just change it up and make it feel so different. I think they do a fantastic job. Yeah, over the course of the coming weeks, I'm actually going to try to sit down with the Hellboy comics and read a little bit more into that. And I've got a tons more content for the Hellboy board game that I'm going to be working through over the coming weeks. And I'm very much keen to see what else uh, James Hewitt and Sophie Williams, the designer of Hellboy the board game, have coming up because they've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up down the pipe. And they seem to have very interesting ideas about game design. So I had another great time with Hellboy the board game. Finally, I sat down to play Elo Darkness. Elo Darkness is a MOBA-style game that was released in 2018. And I played once with Dewey, and I got 
enough rules wrong to make me feel thoroughly ashamed of myself. And it was a bit of an awkward experience. It was the kind of thing where you ever have this as a rules explainer walker where you like you sit down, you think you've got the rules covered and you start playing and a whole bunch of weird things happen that leave the game to feel very off. And then halfway through the person you're playing with looks at the rules and say, okay, here are the seven things that you've done wrong that have contributed to this awful situation we find ourselves in. Yes. Yeah. That was definitely what happened. Now, all of that having been said, let me qualify something. One of the th- key things about Elo Darkness, and it does one one thing that I think is is very telling in terms of game design that I find very unfortunate. Sometimes in a game, you start, your starting resources are vastly disproportionate to the amount of resources you're ever going to have ever again in, over the course of the game. It doesn't matter whether it's money, ammo, cards, something, you just start with so many, and that sets a certain degree of expectation. And so your first couple rounds or your first couple turns, you're playing them because you figure, oh, well, this is roughly the amount that I can expect. And they just never, ever come back in that number. That was one of the things that I had against Unmatched, which is a fine two-player skirmishy type thing. But, I, you know, the card throughput was a bit weird. And this is definitely true of Elo Darkness. In Elo Darkness, you start with seven cards in your hand. And you draw two at the end of every round. And you will never, ever... Get back to seven. Get back to seven, unless you have some very weird special power that lets you get there. In which case, more power to you. But by default, you are going to be starved for cards. This is true of the recommended first game setup. This is true of most hero setups in Yellow Darkness, because there are lots of different heroes that you can pick from. But yeah, this time I actually played with one character, just for context, who had a special ability that said, draw a whole bunch of cards, but then discard down to three at the end of the challenge. So at times, I did have more than seven cards in my hand. And then I went down to three every time. So keep that in mind. When you keep that in mind, and when you play properly, Elo Darkness, I think, is a interesting game of hand management. Because at the start of every round, you have to make decisions about which lanes you're going to engage in and which lanes you're going to completely withdraw from and let the opponent advance. When you do that, two interesting things happen. Number one, you draw a card. And number two, the heroes that are normally associated with that lane then become roamers. And for those of you from MOBA games understand this, and they can just show up in other lanes to engage in the fine practice of ganking. And the other salient feature of this is when you withdraw from a lane, if your opponent busts down a tower, then they don't get the normal benefits that they would if they went and actually won that conflict. You can say, okay, fine, you take the tower, but you're not going to get the additional money or card influx from doing so. They advance in their victory conditions, make no mistake. But it's an interesting trade-off. And so the second play, even though it's it's been separated from a long time, I was finally able to appreciate, number one, how precious cards are. And so I was able to marshal the resources very carefully. And number two, one of the important things that I was able to recognize was, this is actually a game kind of like Airland and Sea or Blue Moon or even Blitzkrieg. These are games where you have to decide when to engage and when to pull back. And I love those kinds of decisions when you understand that that is the primary focus of how to spend your resources. Under that Aegis, Elo Darkness was very, very engaging. And it's also worth noting, I played solo. The solo mode for Elo Darkness is great. It's one of the best solo modes I've played in a very, very, very long time. I think I'll go into more detail about the solo mode later if we talk about solo modes in a more devoted topic, which I think we're probably going to do because we're going to have a lot of time to talk talk and think about solo games. More on all this later. But it was very engaging. It was still the same game. And the AI was bone simple to operate. So it didn't fall into some of the twin pitfalls that I often find in solo versions, which is to say, here, learn an entire new rule set. Or, okay, this is the solo game and it's not going to feel anything like the multiplayer game. So I had a great time with Yellow Darkness. It was 
quick and engaging and fun. Got to try out some hero combinations. Got to experience hard draught, but at least I understood I was going to get that coming in. We're going to be having other MOBA-style games coming in in the next few weeks that Walker may or may not consent to play with me. And I'm always, always keen for MOBA-style games. This is definitely the case that the MOBA genre has so many conventions. I love seeing different games take different approaches and different takes on them. And so more on Elo Darkness to follow if I get a chance to sit down with another player to play it in the near future. And probably more on it when we spend a little bit more time talking about solo modes. But I just want to say that it's definitely redeemed itself because when played properly... And that was totally my fault. <laughs> it is a lot more engaging. So that was Yellow Darkness. And those were the games we played this week. Now on to the news and why it doesn't matter. Mark, like I was saying, there was, there's been a question, a lifelong quest to know things. And it's, is the Kool-Aid man the liquid in the jug or is he the jug himself? Oh, I remember this question. And Funkoverse, I think, has answered that. Because, okay, how do they answer because, it? Well, because they brought out the miniature for the Kool-Aid man in their game and the eyes and mouth are raised on the miniature. So therefore, if the eyes and mouth are raised on the miniature, therefore it must be part of the jug. Therefore the Kool-Aid man is the jug, not Walker, the liquid content. Walker, I'm going to say this sincerely. All right. I mean, I mean this with total and complete honesty. That may be the most profound and interesting thing I've ever heard you say. And I don't mean this to insult you. I think that that's both profound and interesting. Because here, here's the thing. The mind-body problem is, is, is a thorny issue in philosophy. I would just like to point out a third possibility. You've, you've presented what I think is a false dichotomy. I don't think that the Kool-Aid man is either the Kool-Aid in the jug or the jug itself. I think the Kool-Aid man is the gestalt of the liquid in the jug. If the liquid were somehow removed from the jug, I think what you would then have is an abomination of a non-Kool-Aid man. It's very much like human beings. Human beings are not some sort of abstracted brain being carried around by some dumb body, nor are we a body that is merely reducible to our physical bits. I think that there's some union there. I'm, anyway, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm going with the fourth option. I feel like the Kool-Aid man is actually the fear that we have in our souls that a giant liquid jug is going to burst through your wall at any moment. Does this preoccupy you on a yes, regular basis? at a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah! <laughs> so t- tell us more about this Funkoverse thing. I, I, it, have you not read it? Funko versus like I just don't know much about the game. I, I haven't looked into it much either. It, because it's this I, is a podcast of two guys talking about look, how they don't know anything about this thing. I, I look. I it, is that what we're doing right no, now? No, because when I do news and stuff, I do things that interest me, and I see the Kool Aid Man that interests me. The game itself, <laughs> I think I like. I think it's USAopoly. And well, it, look, I, look, I tend to I tend not to look at anything that they it's put by, out. It's designed by Prospero Hall, which is the same group that has given us Top Gun. Yeah, they clearly okay. know what they're doing, right? And it's got fairly good buzz, but it just it, it's a it's a it's a skirmish game with a little bit of silliness in it. Sure, and it seems there might be a little bit of simplicity there, so it, it just doesn't. But we like me. we like simple skirmish games. Claustrophobia is fundamentally, in many ways, a simple skirmish game. Now, there's less silliness there, but I think eventually I'm going to give it a try, right? Because I'm sure there's a, a Rick and Morty version, and I love Rick and Morty, and and, well, the, and I, there's a Kool Aid Man, and there's, I'm waiting. There's Golden Girls, and there's yes. all sorts of, of I'm, fun adventures. I'm stuff. waiting for there to be a, a media property about which I'm particularly enthusiastic. Like, for example, if there were a Steven Universe expansion set, I would absolutely go and well, not 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 right now because. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, as of as of tonight, uh, non-essential retail is going to be shut down in our fine uh, fine province. As soon as I could, 
I would go and get a copy of the game and I would find out whether Steven Universe can defeat the Golden Girls in some kind of skirmish-type environment. I'm someone enthusiastic about the Kool-Aid Man. Like, their, their sense of whimsy I definitely appreciate. I'm just waiting for that sense of whimsy to intersect with my media interests. There you go. But thank you for putting the metaphysical, existential, identity gloss on this issue that you have. I appreciate that you always keep it cerebral, you always keep it theoretical. Well, I thank you, Brian. So I would encourage everyone to go browse the board game subreddit. Not because I have any particular affinity to Reddit in general. We've talked about the board game subreddit in the past. I've talked about how it's a bastion of civilization and civility in a hostile internet and a sometimes even more hostile Reddit. But I just want to point you there because it is important, I think, to keep vaguely abreast about what is going on in our hobby in the midst of this current pandemic. Because you're going to find tons and tons of discussion there about things that publishers are doing and things that game designers are doing in and, distri- and things that our distributors are doing. And things that distributors are doing in this particular time of crisis. And honestly, we could spend the entire podcast just talking about this, and that's not particularly my bag, but just to give us sort of highlights, you would find out about Greater Than Games giving you free uh, Sentinel Comics role-playing stuff. You would find about Jeff Engelstein releasing some of his upcoming WizKids roll-and-write game for free. You'd find out about Lone Shark Games selling their games for practically nothing at the current moment. You find about Haba and Atlas and a whole bunch of other companies supporting local game stores with a variety of loyalty programs to try to keep game stores alive during this time of crisis. Honestly, there's just so much stuff going on. Nobody's allowed to leave their house, or nobody should be leaving their house, but there's all this stuff going on beneath the surface that's really fascinating, so I would encourage you to go check out Reddit or wherever, whatever source of information you like to find. It's just in board game, on board game Geek, they're not really organized in a simple way to keep them eyeballed. I've just been overwhelmed and intrigued at both the creativity and the generosity that has been going on, so I would encourage people to check it out however they want to. A couple quick games that are interesting. There's going to be a Gears of War card game coming out, designed by Tyler Bellman. And Steamforge Games. There is a game called Robot Quest. There's not much on it yet, but it seems a little bit like a Robo Rally deck building game. So you're like zooming along with a robot, but you get to build your deck. Looking forward to seeing more about that. Looks like uh, the UK Games Expo has jumped forward and decided to move its uh, convention ahead from May 29th to August 21st because of what's going on. I would classify that as optimistic. Who knows? Yeah, Lyricon was also canceled. Lyricon was supposed to be happening in May, and they just said, nah. Just like a whole bunch of other conventions. Like like you commented before, what what's happening with Gen Con is very much an open question. And it's I understand why they're not able to make a definitive statement. There's a whole lot of variables going on, and there's a whole lot of financial and legal interests that are competing. I personally would not expect any plans in the summer to materialize. All right, Mark, I got some huge questions for you. Are these going to be as deep, as profound as the no, Kool-Aid Man no, questions? No. We, we love games where you can customize and upgrade your ships, right? 100%. We also love games where you can customize characters and advance them during the game with like special abilities and stuff, right? Uh, yeah, but to a lesser extent, because that, that's been done to death. We love space battles. Yes. We love exploring space. We love exploring planets and going on adventures. We love... App-driven campaigns that you get to customize yourself. No, you lost, you lost me there. How about, Mark, how about a game that has all of this, all of what I just talked about, all in one game? Well, some of those I liked, some of those I'm indifferent to, and some of them I actively dislike. So, I, I all don't know. in together in okay, one? Let yeah, me introduce sure. you to the train wreck that is going to be the Kickstarter of Starlight. Okay. It has all of these things all in one 
air quotes board game is it by first time designers <laughs> like i don't want to like it is has 4000 backers and i don't want to take anything away from it but that is a lot of ambition to put into one board game and i'm i'm eager to see what the end result is going to be when the poor hath cried the designers of starlife hath wept ambition should be made of sterner stuff but brutus says he was ambitious and brutus is an honorable man yeah, let's see the the publisher is um oh 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 They've published, like, a couple things before. Clearly, they're up to this. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying it was an awful lot to take in. And in, 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 I'm saying, my, I forgot my line here. One right? of the co-designers is the sole designer of the as-yet-unreleased Trailer Park Boys game. Well, there you go. Clearly, I forgot to read my line. It says, well, do you have a developer in which you w- wish to melt their brain? Because <laughs> I'm sure this game is going to melt Nothing a could possibly brain. go wrong. And those were all of our news items and why they don't really matter. Well, here's some news that really doesn't matter. We have a statement on what we're going to be doing here on So Very Wrong About Games going forward. So I think it's fair to say that in terms of how we create content... The watchword, in, in many ways, setting aside our editorial standards and setting aside our demands for a certain level of quality of content, one of the watchwords is sustainability. Whenever we decide to do something, whenever we decide to commit to something, we always want to make sure to do it as sustainably as possible. I'm not really talking about environmental sustainability. I'm talking about human resource sustainability. Can we commit to keep doing this? And when these new social distancing measures came into place, and you know, this is a combination of social standards and personal standards and legal standards, we had to really reconsider what are we going to be doing going forward. So you might notice that this is another topic episode, two topic episodes in a row. The reason why is we'd initially intended to review something, but we couldn't review it just with two players. And I can't speak for Walker, but for myself, given that game groups don't exist anymore for now, there's no venue that could responsibly hold such a thing. All the game stores in the local area have said, yeah, 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 no, stay away. And we're not willing to host a whole bunch of people coming in uh, to our house. And none of our other friends are. So all our game nights are gone. Multiplayer gaming in person is an impossibility. So what we've decided to do in under the general standard of sustainability is we're pretty much going to limit ourselves to in-person gaming with just the two of us. That's it. And anyone we happen to be living with, but that's a separate issue. We're, we're, we're the rapacious gamers in our household, so we, we can't do that. So what that means is you're going to be hearing a lot more discussion of two-player games. You're going to be seeing a lot more discussion of other venues of gaming. More on that later when we talk, talk about the topic. But rest assured that we are going to do whatever we can to keep broadcasting and keep producing content that is up to the standards that we've set ourselves in the past. Now. When and if one of us becomes ill, we are now in the position of setting up the technological preconditions that we can broadcast in quarantine situations. Now, what that content is going to look like, we're not yet 100% sure. It depends on how badly we get ill and what circumstances that comes up and what we want to be talking about going forward. But I just wanted to let you know, very much like every bank has been emailing you and every retailer has been emailing you and everybody, every game publisher has been emailing you, we take this very seriously And we are going to keep producing content for you because, if anything, the demand has gone up. Our ability to produce it may have gone down in some ways because of our access, but the demand for the podcast seems to be continuing unabated because y'all need something to do, you guys, some of you being stuck at home. And so we're going to try to keep producing so long as you guys keep consuming, and that's what we have to say about that. Stay safe. Absolutely. 100% 
stay safe. We're confident we can keep doing this while staying safe. The moment we think that this can't be done safely, we're going to stop. But we've thought carefully about how to continue, and we are going to do this as safely as possible. That having been said, let us now move on to our topic, gaming with social distancing. Walker, what do you have to say for yourself? I've said, you know, you just have to pull the trigger and bite the bullet and just do what's safe. If you're having, if you do decide to have one or two people over, just make sure, you know, you have your hand sanitizer ready and your hands are washed and you've cleaned the surfaces and no more uh, face licking victory lap. Yeah. So some of, some of this I have to say is performative, right? So when on occasion, whenever the, the, the circumstances when you do actually have to leave the house and this, this is true, whether it's uh, Walker or someone I live with or anything, I always say, you know, the moment they come in the door, good to see you wash your hands. <laughs> And whenever I go into a place, whether it's the grocery store when I'm doing emergency grocery shopping or the pharmacy or whatever, the first thing I do when going through the store is I very ostentatiously sanitize my hands. And this is partially just to make other people feel comfortable and so just to sort of reinforce the social standards that this is very important and that we're all in this together. And as I said, game nights are over for the for the foreseeable future, for us anyway. Now, we're not here to preach at you. We're not here to tell you what you should be comfortable doing or what's safe. That's for, that's for local authorities. And by authorities, I include public health professionals. That's not what we're in for. But, we're, but in terms of what we're doing, that's where we're situated. And given that, it's harder to game. <laughs> it's been hard. Like, we, we've, we've been at this for what, about a week and a half, two weeks, maybe, in terms of, of, of really serious social distancing in, in terms of uh, Ontario. And who knows how long it's going to last. All the restaurants have shut down all their uh, eating areas. The gaming store has shut down their community gaming area. So it's only homes and homes that aren't already in quarantine. Yeah. And I am not going to engage in the kind of brinksmanship that a lot of other people do. It's like, well, you know, this will last until X or this will last until Y. I don't know. I'm just trying to write it out again in a sustainable and responsible way. Very much the same. Yeah. yeah. And we both have gaming nights and we both cancel them because, you know, it's just the responsible thing to do. You don't want to be, Absolutely. you know, you don't want to bring people into your home and get them sick or, you know, expose them to something that, you know, maybe they don't know they have it or of course. You, know, you bring someone else. Anyway, of course. that being said, what can we do now that this is upon us? This has actually been an occasion for me to reflect on what I get out of gaming and how I can best try to carry that forward in straightened circumstances. Gaming for me, I think, fundamentally is about systems and it's about interactions. Now, the systems, I can still kind of get through solo gaming when done properly. The interactions, on the other hand, have been harder. I've had to learn new skills. I don't like that. (laughs) It's hard and unpleasant to learn things. <laughs> I was about to say, in, in games you played this week, you didn't talk about Sentinels of the Multiverse online. I just touched my face, Walker. Did I just you, did it. Why would you do that? Why man? would I do that? Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, so so here are some of the things that I've been doing with respect to, to learning new things. On one of the game nights that was canceled, with indeed the same people. So this was this was especially part of trying to maintain normalcy. So on Thursday nights... Huey and I would tend to go to Louie's house and play something. So on Thursday, what we did was I learned how to use Discord. Not that we're endorsing any particular, like use whatever app you want to use, of course. But I didn't really know how to use any of these things because I'm a bit of a dinosaur. It's weird. I've kind of come full circle. When I was in my uh, teens and 20s, 
I was the guy with a uh, like a Palm Pilot or a Pocket PC, and everyone looked at me funny because I carried a, uh, an electronic device with me everywhere I went, and I thought that I was some kind of freak. Now, I'm the guy who uses his phone less than anybody else he knows. But anyway, so I learned how to use Discord, and we played Sentinels of the Multiverse online, and what was important to me, and this, this was as a result of careful consideration, it was a game that we might have played together in person with the same people at the same time. And let me tell you, that really helped enforce a sense of normalcy, helped me feel a sense of continuity, helped me feel much less alienated both from the other players and my own routine. And so I would encourage listeners who are feeling alienated, like I am, I'm, I'm still feeling very, very alienated because there are all these games that that I really want to play or all these people that I really want to see and I can't do either of those things. Again, it's about systems and it's about interactions. And I'm being deprived of both. But it really helped make me feel like I was still part of this same community, even when I can't interact with people more broadly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I want to know how it went, though. Did it, did it go off seamlessly? Did you? How did the Discord go? Did you get on the channels okay? Did the game start up all right? Was it, was it helpful? Was it interactive? It, it worked well. It worked a lot better than a lot of other experiences I've had because... I remember playing Destiny or even when we were playing Megasiv a couple weeks ago, which honestly seems like 17 years ago. People don't show up on time. People aren't ready. People leave the table at inopportune times. You know, you, you get together with your clan mates and you say, we're going to start the raid at four o'clock and everyone's sitting around in either a waiting lobby or somewhere else for like 10 minutes because it was like, okay, wait, no, I need to go to orbit and get this blah, 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 blah. There was much less of that than I anticipated, partially because it was just two people and, 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 and I was the one who didn't know how to use Discord. So I was causing the delay. It was about three to four minutes. But the app itself, people have commented on this before, and this is sort of the, you know a mini review of the digital version. The Handelabra adaptation of Sentinels of the Multiverse is really solid. The only limiting factor was that uh, not all of us had all the expansions. And this is one of the, the terrible things about trying to use these digital versions as substitutes for the, the physical version that we have. I have everything Sentinels ever. I don't want to have to buy something again. And that's one of the reasons why I don't... Like, there are tons of games that I should be playing with you online. Scythe, Warhammer Underworlds, all manner of things. Like, I don't want to buy the game again. I have the game. It's in my basement. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I have it's, it's so lovely. updated. I'd, anyway, so that was the biggest problem. And one element of the adaptation that was really good, and for this I have to give all credit to Huey, we couldn't see each other's hands. There's a setting that you can toggle in the game, and kudos to Handelabra to putting this, where you can make it visible or not visible to everyone else what, what hands you have. And, and Louis was actually, I can't see what your hands are. And Huey was like, yeah, yeah, that's on purpose. We want to minimize quarterbacking. And it worked really well. I've commented a lot before about digital adaptations, and I still have my same misgivings. But in terms of, again, trying to reconnect to the hobby more broadly, both in terms of systems and in terms of interactions, it felt really good. And I'm going to try every week to do something like that at a minimum. It's nice because of the video game genre has already set up all of this other stuff to support us, right? Because there already has all the voiceover stuff, all the interaction, all the stuff to help us get already connected. And now that the board games are, are getting digital versions, it's good that all of this stuff is already in place. And I would encourage people to, and this is mostly to remind myself that I need to do this. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone to try to maintain your hobby time. If that's something that you want to do. And I, I think for many people in terms of their mental and social health, it's going to be important. Uh, just, Try to pick up the skills you need to pick up. 
learn how to use things that you haven't learned before. This is going to be my final excuse, uh, my, my final excuse to try to learn how to use Vassal. I've never used Vassal, which is strange for a wargamer. Most wargamers know how to use Vassal, and there are lots of really good Vassal mods. I kind of know how to use Tabletop Simulator, whose user base apparently has increased by about 400% over the past few days, by the way. Well, let's go over, like, let's go over those three. Sure. There's, there's Tabletopia, there's Tabletop Simulator, which are both available on Steam. If you don't know what Steam is, then... You probably should just tune out for this part of the podcast. And then there's Vassal. Now, the difference is with Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia, there's stuff built in that will bring you through the game. And sometimes... To varying degrees. To varying degrees. Sometimes it'll be like the full game where it'll run it for you. Sometimes you're actually just moving the pieces around and you actually have to play the game yourself and just move the pieces around and and know what's going on. How much experience do you have with with those two formats? Uh, a little bit. I've played a little bit of the Tabletopia because it's free. Yes. So that is one of the key benefits of Tabletopia. So I've played a little bit on there, and I have quite. It's been so long ago, but I know I played a lot of Vassal stuff. But if you want any, but it's been so long ago. Yeah. That I'm not sure, but it is definitely not so much real time. It's more like you know, off and on. You send around the turns, and it's sort of like a. Is I'm not like I shouldn't really say anything because I haven't done it because maybe it's changed. But it usually was like an email that you got and and it said, you know, your turn is ready and you would load it up and it would save like from turn to turn. Like well, that very much depends on the module that you're using. One of the things that is in common amongst all these different formats is the modules can range from really, really, really quality implementations. And I think we'll have more to say as we start exploring this more, you know, up to the level of quality that you would expect from something like a dedicated paid for adaptation. All the way to, we just imported the graphic resources, that's it. You're going to have to manipulate everything by yourself. And Vassal is very much the same. It's a, it's a Java implementation. I've seen really, really slick Vassal mods. I've seen really, really, really blunt Vassal mods. Apparently, there are some really dedicated developers who really, really put in the work. And then there are people who are just like, yeah, just scan the cards, whatever. And so sometimes it can be synchronous play. Some can, it can be asynchronous. Uh, it's, it's Java. I mean, Java will do whatever you want it to at the end of the day. So Vassal is no exception. All right. And then there are full games. Have you played any yet, Mark? Digital versions on your computer? Well, other than, as I say, the ongoing experiences with Sentinels in the Multiverse, no. Largely because I am a huge cheapskate. And like for many people, money's very, very tight. And one thing that I haven't noticed is a whole lot of publishers of digital board games really slashing their prices. The way that a lot of in-person board I'm not, look, I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying that if there had been some sort of mass movement to be like, look, this is all going to be half off. Yeah, this that being said, I, I expected that today. I, I just did a search and I, I was expecting there to be some sort of deals going on because of all this other information that we found out. Yep. And I found out that there, there, there had not yet, there has not been anything. Yeah. And so, I, and again, I'm not criticizing these things, but I, I might get the side mod and play with you, but it's 35 bucks and 35 bucks for a game where you've already sunk a lot of money into it. Feel this is, this is a sunk cost fallacy, of course. Same thing with Warhammer Underworlds. I have all this Warhammer Underworld stuff. And with Warhammer Underworlds, it's even worse because they've only got the five, five warbands now. Which is fine, it's early access, whatever. It's just, it, it, it's hard to pull the trigger. And so I already have Tabletop Simulator, and the mods for Tabletop Simulator are free. I bought Tabletop Simulator a while ago so I could get access to the graphical assets of the translated versions of some of the expansions to Sacker Arms. Basically, my, my skill set expands 
as necessary to consume Sacker Arms. <laughs> so I'm probably going to try to focus on that for the immediate future. I hear very, very good things about a certain number of mods for a tabletop simulator. Like, for example, apparently the PAX Premier tabletop simulator mod is amazing. But honestly, one of the big problems with that, and this is, this is again, segueing back into the many ways in which I find these adaptations troublesome, Playing games digitally I find very alienating, because you're literally alienated from the components. But the worst thing, the very worst thing, and I've done this only a couple times before, but it's really hard. Explaining rules to somebody over these formats I find incredibly difficult. And so if you're playing something like the side of the digital version, I assume there's a tutorial. I assume it's relatively good. But when it comes to Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia, you're on your own and it's the Wild West. And I hate explaining a game to somebody when they do not have the components out in front of them. And also, that being said, not all of them have undo options. So Really? Yeah. And so there could be... Oh, or, no. Or, or, what, or whatever. And so there's no takesy-backsies. There's, you gotta have the takesy backsies. You just gotta have the takesy backsies, Mark. There could be like a rule that you don't quite understand. You could yep. think, okay, I thought it worked this way, and it'd be like in a in a board game situation, it'd be like, oh no, it doesn't work that way, and you immediately take it back. Well, guess what? Computer has already you know moved along, and you can't now yep. not go back. So sometimes that can be a barrier as well. Uh, yeah, and and again. Part of why I want to do this, and I, I keep saying I should get out of my comfort zone, I should learn new skills, and at the same time, anytime you point out something that I find remotely inconvenient, I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. But part of this is to try to, in as many ways as possible, replicate the same experiences that I would have had in person. That's one of the joys of, of doing Sentinels, and that's probably why I'll eventually break down and get something like Scythe and play Scythe with you online, because that'll feel very normal to me, it'll feel very reassuring, and your deep bass baritone over Discord will make me feel so comfortable. Darling, I and then again, sometimes you'll just gibber like some sort of lunatic. But... Love, babe. <laughs> um, so yes, we talked about Scythe. We've already talked about Underworld. I'm really enjoying Underworld and the fact that they've made the deck building so simple and easy to use. Yellow Yancy, we've already uh, and Terra oh yeah, how much Mars. is that? That I don't. I didn't write any prices here. I really should have put some prices in here, but I did not. No, it's fair. That's fair. Well, Terraform, you're not gonna you're not gonna sell me on Terraform. No, Terraform no. Mars. Uh, Sentinels: The Multiverse. We've already talked about. You can sign up for the Wingspan beta mark. You could be lucky enough because because Wingspan <sighs> is coming out with the digital. Imp- Do you know what would really make well? me feel connected to the hobby and would really evoke a sense of normalty of of, of even a few weeks ago? Ragging on Wingspan in a different venue. There it is. <laughs> exactly right. Let's bring it all around. And and it's interesting the fact that that. There's such a different world between phone apps and PC yes. digital implementations because there's some games on there. And that also being said is just go into Steam and search board games. You'd be surprised. I didn't even write them all down. There's so many that I didn't even know about. There's like there's uh, like I talked about before, uh, Spirit Islands, you know, coming up soon. And the problem with Spirit Island, you can't play with friends online. Well, I and actually that's something else I want to talk point about. The, another advantage to these digital implementations is the fact that you can put bots in. So even if if a game plays better with five and you only have the two of you that can play at that particular time, you can throw three bots in. Or if you want a little bit of a sort of like a co-op experience, then you can just, you know, gang up on the bots, you know, well, that kind of thing. Well, that, that's the thing. Again, my primary priority for all of these things and the reason why I'm willing to go outside my comfort zone and learn new things and possibly spend money is to reconnect with the people in the hobby, reconnect with my friends that I'm not able to see. 
And so the appeal of doing something like playing Spirit Island solo against bots is zero to me. Absolutely zero, especially since I have a copy of the game. If I want to play solo by myself, I can do that and just set it up and do it. So I'm not willing to, you know, it has zero appeal to me. And it, it's it's really bizarre to me that the same people who put out Sentinels of the Multiverse with a fabulous online multiplayer, you know, why would I bother otherwise? So that that's why I'm not particularly interested in a lot of these different implementations, because it's not so much to just be able to play a game. The other thing, though, you talked about bots. It's bizarre. Again, I don't want to... I want to get as close as possible to replicating the social experience. So I don't want it to be me, Huey, and Dewey in two bots. I'd rather it be me, Huey, and Dewey. Especially because... the Don't you find that the dynamic gets weird when there's some number of humans and some number of bots? Like, it almost inevitably tends to verge into co-op. Like, well, let's just stomp well, on these well, idiots. Well, that's what I said. I know, but it, it, doesn't that undermine the... the... No, but... <laughs> well, it does in a way. I'm, but I'm not saying you do it every time. I'm just saying it, it would... It, it, some sort of... Sometimes encourages you to play the game a little bit differently, which sometimes can lead to interesting circumstances. Okay. It just... I've, I've done it a couple times a long time ago, and it was always just... It made me feel like I was playing something radically different. This is not me playing Scythe anymore. True. This but, is me playing some weird, hyper-specific scenario that is not utterly unlike Scythe. True. But sometimes that can be good. Like, you can increase the computer difficulty to such a range that it becomes really hard to beat, and you have to sort of gang up to beat them. And sometimes that can be more fun than just, you know, beating each other back and forth. I guess. But this, again, highlights some of the differences, I think, in our approaches to this. I'm trying to get back to normalcy. Right. Gotcha. I'm trying to, and again, this is this is part of sustainability, right? Because some of the fears, not not to get too much into epidemiology and stuff like that. The problem is, if you adopt standards that keep you healthy and safe, but you can't sustain them, and in a week you're like, I can't deal with this anymore, and then you start engaging in unhealthy behaviors. This is true of any number of things. This is true of diets. This is true of exercise regimes. This is true of any number of things. You have to pick something. You have to pick a set of things that are going to keep you safe and healthy and not endanger other people and that you can keep up for as long as you need to keep up. And again, we don't know how long that's going to be. And so I'm not interested in finding new radical experiences. Like if I want, want to do that, I could go get video, you know, other video games and stuff like that. I want to try to get my hobby time back as much as I possibly can. True. And this is going to happen again very soon anyway so it's good to get these things in place because this yes. is not going to be the last time this happens let's move along to some phone apps because i'm sure you've played some no yes, i haven't maybe, actually i've purchased a couple and then never played them so Nirishima hex is a great one there's a terra mystica that's on your phone and then there's galaxy trucker which is super fun i've heard nothing but good things about it same thing of the battle lore the second edition app which apparently does some interesting things with the, with with the campaign play. I have purchased both Galaxy Trucker and Battlelore Second Edition for Android, and I have opened them. I think maybe once and played for a minute and then stopped. Yes, the Battlelore has been on my wish list on the Steam wish list for you know ever since it came out, but I have never purchased it. Maybe that's one we should try. Who knows? So that's all I'm going to say about phone apps. Let's talk about some solo games very quickly because, like you said, I'm sure we're going to we want to dedicate a whole show about just the what solo games can do and what they bring to the table. But anyway, Clinic, I've already played. Great on Mars. Scythe has a great solo variant and Gaia Project. These are the only games that I've tried solo. I would encourage people over the course of the next few weeks while you're dealing with social isolation, if you're inclined, to find out whether you can be a solo gamer. Like, there's a whole bunch of people who are going to be trying solo games that have never done it before. And 
I think what you have to understand in this process, and this is all that I'm going to say at the beginning here, is recognize that there are lots and lots and lots of different ways for games to be solo games. Yeah, that's what I have as my next one. There's like all the versus games that you can just turn into solo games. Yes. Like Imperial Assault, Descent Second Edition, and Xenoshift, Sentinels of the Multiverse. All of these can be solo games. Yes. Well, Xenoshift and Sentinels have never been versus games, so that's that's a little bit different. So there's there are co-op games that can be played solo. These tend to have minimal violence to the initial rule sets. There are multiplayer Euros that can be made solo very, very easily. Like, I remember when one of the very, very first solo variant games was actually Agricola. There have been solo games before. I mean, of course, there were uh, solo-designed war games. That There was that famous game called Ambush with an exclamation point that had a paragraph system, and it was a, it was a squad-based World War II thing. And it, it broke a lot of boundaries when it came out. But before Agricola, it was not common for a whole lot of Euro games to have solo modes. Now it's very, very, very common. You know, you design a multiplayer solitaire game, more or less, slap a solo mode on it. This is true of A Feast for Odin. This is true of a lot of other Uwe Rosenberg games. This is true of a lot of other Euros. There's that. And then there are the ones with Otoma. You know, entire new rule sets that are designed to elicit that. Now, and I just want to encourage you, if you try one and don't en- one, one of those kinds of things and don't enjoy it, that doesn't necessarily mean that solo gaming isn't for you. You might just have to find the right style. And I'll have a lot more to say about my own preferences about this kind of thing later. And then, of course, there are the games that are designed to be solo games, like pretty much anything Dan Verson has ever done and a whole bunch of other things. The world apparently, are- Nemo's War is apparently very good. Precisely, precisely. A whole bunch of Victory Point Games uh, stuff and uh, a whole bunch of things in the sort of uh, consim sphere that aren't really designed to be solo games, but are designed with the solo experience in mind. Anyway, there's an entire universe of different kinds of solo games. So if you're inclined to explore, maybe these are games that are already in your collection. Just keep in mind, there's lots of different ways to do solo games. And if you try one and it's not for you, it might just be an indication you need to try a different kind of thing. The other thing I have down here is, if you're into deck building games, this is the good this is a good time to get out your cards and and tinker around and do some new deck building stuff. You mean deck construction? Deck construction, yeah. Yes, for like Underworlds and or Arkham Horror the card game. I only bring those two up because of those the the last two I played. Absolutely. Other thing I have down here is learning games. Like if you've got a whole shelf of games that you've never played before, this is a good time to pull them out and read the rule book and go through the components, organize some games, you know, or go to board game geek and look, they have files up there that'll help you learn and, or to print out some things or see variants that people have put up. I really released an editorial on our uh, Patreon feed shortly after sorting everything for street masters. I just gotten the street masters pledge in and I spent literally hours sorting everything just because there was so much content and it was all going to a new bigger box. And I think a lot of hardcore collectors and certainly a lot of people who've got some Kickstarters where they lost their minds and their dozens and dozens of stretch goals are familiar with this process. having spent a long time sorting all these components and it can be really enjoyable if you aren't rushed, if you have the time. And I suspect a lot of people now might have time when they might not have otherwise had just spending time with these lovely game game components can be enjoyable. It can be an enjoyable experience, just engaging with the physicality of all these things. Maybe find a new box organization schema that works a little bit better. Maybe just look through and read through card decks of things that you haven't done before. You know, that that, that I have found, honestly and sincerely, to be satisfying I hobby know, I'm, experiences. I'm 100% on your page. Like, I actually, I did lament having to leave and not being able to set up Eclipse 2nd Edition. Yeah, sure, you. sure, fine. No, no, no I'm being, I'm being whatever, honest. Whatever you say. Punching all those out, 
organizing in those trays, getting it all back in the box. These are things that I personally love doing. I did it while watching RuPaul's Drag Race. There you go. Do you want do you, know, do you want to know what my drag name would be? Yes. What would, what would be what would be your drag name, Mark? Trixie Knitzia. Trixie Knitzia. Mark, believe it or not, there are other people out there that do board game podcasts. I know it's hard to believe, but they are out there. So that's another thing you can do is listen to podcasts, listen to see more videos out there. There's lots of lots of content to see. All of this is to say, and I think this is this is how I would sum it up. And again, I, I don't want to trade too much in sentimentality. One thing that I've derived significant solace from in this time of shared sacrifice, because that's, that's effectively what we're engaged in here. This is collective action in a time of shared sacrifice. You're not alone. If you can hear our voices, you know, we're right there with you, right? We're all members of this hobby. And in a very real way, our hobby is being denied us. This is something that we're giving up. Vast aspects of our hobby are being given up for the sake of this collective action. Our hobby's our hobby's taking a hit. It's also going to be taking a significant hit financially. If I, ugh, I don't even want to think about what local game stores are going to do without magic events. It's just if I knew more, I'd be scared. But I don't know anything. True. So. All this being said, I am hearing a lot more of family, family board game nights happening. Absolutely. Right? So there's a lot of less hobby board gaming going on, but a lot more family board gaming going on. I mean, also into the aegis of we're all in this together, and I have it easier than a lot of other people. I don't have to worry about keeping children occupied. And one of the things that we've done is uh, we know a family that's in pretty heavy quarantine because they weren't, they don't know that they were exposed to the virus, but they think they might have been. So they're, they're, they're even more isolated than most and keeping their children entertained has been very, very, very difficult. And so I, I gathered up all the children's games that I have, you know, I got Ghost Blitz and Rhino Hero Super Battle and even Junk Art in case they're, they're, they're into that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I donated that to, for, for their purposes because we're all in this together and there are things that I can do as a gamer to help my neighbors. I've done other things to help my neighbors that are not related to gaming, but this is a gaming podcast about board games, Walker. That's what you said at the beginning. So I'm going to crazy. So I'm going to talk about board games. So, you know, if you have games that children can play and you happen to have to know people that need to take care of children, well then try to share your collection if possible. You know, with a simple porch drop is probably safe in most environments. Again, I don't want to cancel too broadly because in many cases, even a simple porch drop might be too, da- too dangerous, but you can exercise your own judgment. What I'm saying is, again, we're all in this together. There are things that we can do to help each other. We, I talked in the news about all the things that publishers are doing and some really, really impressive things that people are doing to help people stay engaged. Because even though we have to be socially distant, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be completely disengaged from all these other people and all these other elements of the hobby that we love. Just be patient out there. When you're going around in the public, just realize that everyone is in the same boat, especially the people that are still working in grocery stores out there and stuff. Just realize that they're putting their lives in danger at all times and just be patient with everyone. And that will make it nicer experience while we get through this. Well said, Walker. So that's going to do it for this week for So Very Wrong About Games. We will be broadcasting next week in some form or another. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach Walker via his email, justrolledadice at gmail.com. You can reach me, Mark Bigney, on Twitter at the games you like. For more public discussion, you can find the So Very Wrong About Games Facebook page, or you can check out our Board Game Geek Guild, which is guild number 3236, and you can find us on Patreon. We read everything you send us, and we'll get back to you if we can. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon. Peace! You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. 
You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time. And always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.